Number one, this is a well-known sicha, very sweet. You could call it a geshmaka sicha. The Rebbe discusses the famous conversation brought in the Talmud that when Moshe Rabbeinu Moses went on to heaven to get the Torah, the angels uh, said to Hashem, what's he doing here? Why is he here? So he, Hashem said he came to get the Torah. So the angel said famously, give your glory unto the heaven. You have a Torah, you're going to give it to human beings that are fallible, they make mistakes. Give it to us. So Hashem said to Moshe, you answer them. And Moshe turned to the Malachim, to the angels, and he said, um, did you go to Egypt? Going through basically all the Ten Commandments. The first one is, I am your God, I took you out of Egypt. You didn't go to Egypt. Do you have other nations that you're going to start worshipping their idols? So commandment number two of the Ten Commandments doesn't apply, you don't have to worship idols. Do you have a mother and a father? There's no mitzvah honoring your parents. Do you work that you have to take off for Shabbos? Do you have jealousy that you have to do, avoid the, the coveting, etc., etc.? Competition, stealing, do you have even a Yetzirah to deal with any of these struggles? And therefore, they immediately agreed that Moshe deserves the Torah, the Jewish people deserve the Torah. So the Rebbe said that it's brought down in holy writings and holy books that really this was a halachic debate. Everything in Torah comes down to halacha. There's a halacha called bar metzah, which means right of first refusal for the immediate neighbor. If I'm selling a neighboring field, the immediate neighbor has the right to get the right of first refusal. And why so? Because it's a benefit. If you have two fields together and you plow them in the same time, you have your tractors, you have your oxen, whatever it is, you don't have to schlep to two different places. It's a tremendous game. So even if I already sold that field to someone else, then the immediate neighbor has a right to come back and get it back from that other person, obviously you pay him the purchase price. And this is based on a verse in the Torah, which says, you should do that which is just and right in the eyes of Hashem. It's fair. For the new buyer, it makes a difference where he buys the field. They can buy it elsewhere. For this buyer, his field is right next door. And therefore, for him, it's a tremendous benefit to have that field. And therefore, he should get the right to buy it first. To the extent that even if it's sold, he gets it back. He can buy it out. He can force the sale. So the Svanim write these holy works, and they're quoting originally from a Medrash, that this was the argument of the angels. Torah is heavenly. It's heavenly wisdom. It comes from uh, Atzilus, whatever it is. And therefore the angels, they're heavenly beings. They should have the right of first refusal. They are the neighbors. And then many of the commentaries discuss what was Moshe's answer. This becomes a very cute discussion on a halachic level. What was Moshe's answer? We know that this principle of Barmetzvah, namely the right of the first refusal of the neighbor, has exceptions. And each one of these various commentaries uh, uh, present, presents a different one of those exceptions was presented by Moshe. The Rebbe is going to collect all of them here into one place and then uh, refute them, so to speak, saying mean, at the end of the day, there's something missing here. And the Rebbe is going to present his own brilliant presentation. So here you have the whole list. Question is on top, why is Torah exempt from Bar Mitzvah, right or first refusal law? Again, we're speaking now on a technical level of Allah. Number one, one of the exceptions to that rule, that the neighbor does not have the right, is if I'm not selling property. When does the neighbor have a right to claim? What do you mean I'm the neighbor? I go first, is if it's property. But if I'm selling a car, 
if I'm selling uh, furniture, whatever it is, the neighbor doesn't have right of first refusal. And the reason is very simple. Furniture you can buy anyway. There's no value to saying that the neighbor should have that right. A car you can buy anywhere. The, the, the neighbor's benefit is that he wants this piece of property. He can't get this piece of property anywhere else. He can't move property around. And therefore, he deserves to have that right because it's a benefit that is right next door. But if he's buying a movable object, buying a car, let him buy it somewhere else and bring it home. And therefore, when it comes to movable objects, there is no such law of right of first refusal. It's an exception to the rule. And therefore, the Torah is not property. It's movable. That's one uh, opinion, so to speak, in this commentary. Number two, the Torah is not a sale, it's a gift. This rule that the neighbor gets the first right is only if what? If the owner of the property sold it. I sell it to the other guy, no, you should sell it to me because I'm the neighbor. But if I decide to give it as a gift, the neighbor can't say, what about me, give it to me as a gift? There's no such thing. A gift is something you give, obviously, because you want to gift it to that person. Because that's the person you want to gift it to. How could the neighbor claim it? And therefore, when it comes to a gift, this entire rule of the neighbor's right of first refusal does not apply. Torah is not really a sale, it's a gift. We say on Shavuos, man matan Torah seina, the day of the gifting of the Torah, so to speak, matana. And therefore, the angels have no right to claim it. God didn't sell it to us, he gifted it to us. Why did he give it to us? He wants to give it to us. There's no such right that you can claim. Even though you're closer, you're the neighbor, you're in heaven. Number three, another exception to the right of first refusal of the neighbor is if it's in the family. If I sell my field to a total stranger, the neighbor has a right to say, what about me? I go first. But if I decide to sell to a family member, clearly I have an allegiance to family and the neighbor does not have that right. It's an exception to that rule. Similarly, Jewish people are referred to as God's children. We're family. And it makes sense that we should have uh, Hashem should have the right to sell it to us, to give it to us, and the angels do not have a claim. Number four, it says about Moshe that he was a judge, who sat and judged the Jewish people, and there's a principle that anyone who judges the Jewish people properly is like a partner in creation, because if you're a proper judge, you create justice, you, you establish the world in a stable fashion, and since you're called a partner in creation, and therefore, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm jumping. That's number five. Number four, Moshe, it says that Moshe is referred to in Torah as a man of God. It's not just a, 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 a nickname. When Torah says something, it means literal. Because the language is that from the upper half, he was like a man of God. He was an angel. This is a man who spent 40 days and nights on a mountain without eating breakfast three times. I mean, he became a, a, angelic in a very big way. He was Ishor Lukim. He was in a certain way manly, human, and in another way he became like an angel. And therefore, Moshe is close to the heaven. And therefore, some of the commentaries say that uh, the angels are neighbors to heaven. So was Moshe, and he has a right to the Torah. That's what it says in some commentaries. Within this itself, within this number four itself, the Rebbe says that uh, Moshe is not the only one getting the Torah. The Jewish people are getting the Torah. So Yeshukoyach, Moshe is heavenly, and therefore he can argue with the angels and say, I'm also a neighbor. But the Torah is gifted to all the Jewish people. So how does that really answer the question? And the Rebbe expands that statement by saying that really it's said that all Jews are heavenly because our souls are a piece of Hashem. The language is we are chiseled out from under the heavenly throne and therefore we're all partially heavenly. We all come from heaven. 
the angels are neighbors, we're also neighbors. So if I'm selling it to the neighbor, the other neighbor can't complain that he's a neighbor because I sold it to a neighbor. And the Jews have a right. Number five, Moshe is a partner to God. There's a principle that another exception to the rule of Bar Metzra, that if I'm selling it not to some stranger, but someone who's a partner of mine, I have a right to do that. Similar to the idea of a relative. If it's my partner, obviously we have allegiance and I have benefit by selling it to someone who's a partner of mine. And therefore this whole rule, this halacha of giving the neighbor the first right of first refusal does not apply. The Jewish people, are, Moshe is God's partner. Why? Because he was a judge. And anyone who judges properly is a partner in creation. And therefore, the angels are neighbors, but Moshe is a partner. And in the case of a partner, you don't have to leave it to the neighbor. Here too, this again, this is a Rebbe quoting from commentary. Here too, the Rebbe digs deeper and says, but it's not just about Moshe getting the Torah, it's about all the Jews. And here too, the Rebbe overlays a further argument in the same in the same answer and says, but all Jews are also partners. We says whoever says by Yehulu on Friday night, whoever says Kiddush Friday night proclaims that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh is a partner in creation. You're proclaiming God's ownership, etc. And therefore, all of us are partners, not just Moshe. And therefore, if we're partners, then the right of first refusal of the angels goes out the window. Number six. Here it gets interesting. There's a whole discussion. How could the angels even want the Torah? The Torah talks about how to live life in the physical realm. To shake a lulav, to put on film, to light a You can't do these things in heaven. So it's explained that clearly when the angels wanted the Torah, they didn't mean that level of Torah, the physical application of Torah. They meant the mystical aspects of Torah. The way Torah is studied in heaven, so yeah, it's true, they won't be able to put on tefillin and eat matzah, sit in a sukkah, but they would have the spiritual aspects of Torah. That would be their argument. So here too, there's an exception to the rule of Barmetra. The rule is, but even though normally I got to sell it to my neighbor first, that's if I'm only selling this field. But what if I'm selling a whole portfolio? I'm selling all my fields. And one person comes along and buys the whole package. It's bundled. The rule is that if I sell everything to one person, that person gets it and the neighbor's right is out the window. Again, possibly because there's an allegiance. The guy's buying the whole thing, he gets everything. You probably made a deal, you, probably, you bundled it, and therefore you don't have to worry about the neighbor's right. Similarly here, that when the angels want Torah, they don't want the whole Torah. They don't want all of God's possessions. They just want the mystical part of Torah because the physical part of Torah doesn't apply to them. Whereas we, we take the whole thing. Shat, Remus, Druso, the Kabbalistic, the mystical, the Midrashic, the practical, the halacha, everything. And therefore, he's selling, the angels want to buy just one piece. We want the whole portfolio. So the rule of Bar-Metzah does not apply. Brilliant uh, argument. And finally, it's brought down another exception to the rule of Bar-Metzah, is that if the neighbor wants it just for luxury, he's already well-to-do, but he wants more wealth, he wants to accumulate more wealth and have another field. Whereas the person who bought the field, he needs it for his survival. Maybe it's his only field or one of a few fields. And for him, it's critical. He goes first. He goes first, which is a rational exception because this guy wants it for luxury. This guy needs it for survival. So how would that be considered fulfilling the mitzvah of doing the just and the right thing? 
The opposite is adjust to the right thing. Help the guy who's in trouble. The language is the chikale shaita. He's going through a hard time. Similarly here, the angels want it because why not? It's God's glory. We, we need it for survival. Without Torah, we have no idea how to live. These are seven different mefarshim, different opinions, different approaches that the Rebbe calls from various commentaries. And the Rebbe gives various refutes. One must understand that the Rebbe clearly is, a, you know, has tremendous respect for these commentaries, but saying that ultimately there's something still missing. And clearly these are all great commentaries. It's all truth. It's all Torah. But the Rebbe is going to dig deeper and reveal his own, you might say, deepest uh, commentary, very much in line with Hasidus. What are the refutes? First of all, the main thing here is that none of these are hinted in Moshe's reply to the angels. Again, everything has to be hinted within Torah itself. The, the Gemara, the Talmud, records the conversation of Moshe to the angels. And what did Moshe say in defense of why should he get the Torah and not them? He said, we went to Egypt, we have a father and a mother, we, 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 we work, we have jealousy, we have a Yetzirah, we're in the physical realm. We do work, everything about our involvement in the physicality. On the halachic level, we're saying that what was Moshe's real answer? That he's saying, you don't have a right to claim it as a neighbor because of all of these seven arguments. There should be some hint to these seven arguments in Moshe's response, and there isn't. Moshe doesn't hint to anything about it being not property or being a, a gift and not a sale or it's in the family. None of it, that we're partners. except number seven, that ever struggles a little bit with number seven. Number seven does seem to be hinted in Moshe's words. What's the essence of Moshe's words? That we're, we have a Yetzirah and we struggle, we need the Torah. That might fit pretty neatly into argument seven, that we need it for survival, it's not luxury. But the Rebbe says still, it's not really what Moshe says. It's the same net-net, but it's not really what he says. He doesn't say, um, he doesn't say that the Jewish people need it because they have a great struggle. He says that the Torah is not relevant to you because you're living in a spiritual realm. Nowhere here does it does Moshe make the argument that they're struggling. He says that this is all a physical Torah and you don't have any of this. He's talking more about the angels' lack of physicality and therefore lack of connection to Torah more so than our struggle. He mentions the Yetzirah, but most of the argument isn't about the, isn't about this, isn't about the struggle. It's about the fact that the Torah is physical and therefore it doesn't apply to non-physical beings. So number seven is not really there. And therefore, again, Torah is perfect. And the halachic hints need to be, need to lie in the Talmudic language. Furthermore, the Rebbe says number three, four, and five, point to our closeness rather than our distance. What is Moshe's answer to the angels? You don't need to tell you don't have a Yitzhahara, you're not physical, you don't struggle, you don't go to work, you don't live among nations. It's all arguments that we're distant from God and we have a hard time and we need it. Whereas three, four, and five are all closeness. Why should we get it? We're close, we're, we're, we're family, we're God's children. We're heavenly, we're partners. Really, that's the opposite of Moshe's words. And again, so it's therefore not hinted in Moshe's words at all. Also, the Rebbe says that argument number one, that Torah is not property, doesn't really hold water either. Why? Because 
the reason why the right of first appeal doesn't apply to, um, to um, movable objects. It only applies to property because property you can't get anywhere else. A movable object you can pick up somewhere else. Property only, you know what I mean? It's right here. So if I don't get this one, I don't get it. I can't go somewhere else to get this piece of property. Whereas a movable object, I could. But Torah, since there's only one Torah, there's nowhere else to get it. You can't go get another Torah. So, so how is that an argument? How can you tell the angels, the neighbor, no, I'm not selling you the Torah because it's a movable object. Go down the block and get another one. There isn't another one. So theoretically, it should be considered like property because it's the same reason. It's unavailable elsewhere. So these are the Rebbe's refutes. Comes along the Rebbe and presents a brilliant argument. We know the famous Medrash, which is brought in Tanya chapter 36, upon which much of Hasidus is, is, is built, if you will. That the purpose of creation is that we make a a home for God in the lowest realm. And this is another exception in the law of Barmetz. That if the neighbor wants to buy the field for agricultural purposes, and the buyer bought it for a home, the home goes first. Because a home is even more important than the, Having a field, you need a home to live in, and therefore that overrides and takes precedence. The angels want it, whatever they want it. Our job is to take the Torah and make a home for Hashem, and therefore we take precedence. They never finishes the Sikha by saying, Why is it that we make a home for Hashem? The angels also uh, make a home for Hashem, and it's described in Chassid. What does it mean, a home? What does it mean, a home for Hashem in the lowest realms? Hashem is everywhere. Hashem is infinity. Certainly in the higher realms, Hashem's light is felt, but as discussed in many, many sikhs, that the, the light is not the home, it's not the essence. A home means where you are completely. A home means when you leave the home, you present yourself in a certain way. You're going to work, you're wearing a business suit. You're going to a party, you're wearing a tuxedo. You're socializing, you're wearing your casuals. Whatever it is, you're going to a ball game, you're dressed like a... Whatever it is, this is presentations. It's not the real you. You come home, it's you as you. There's no presentation, there's no show. You made it be well clothing. You are what you are, just as you are. Similarly, the Hobbit, so to speak, in all the spiritual realms, they don't have God, they have God's light. Because how could you have God? God's not visible. There's no, there's no such expression. You just have the light. God presented in one level, another level. And those are the things that exist in the higher realms. Our role here in this world is to create a home for God, so to speak, God's essence, God's absolute truth will be seen and felt. Why is that not so much in the, in the higher worlds? The Rebbe explains one of the explanations is because God's essence means anything's possible. God's the only one that creates something from nothing. It's a beautiful line in the Talmud that God says to, uh, that you get together all the kings and queens of the whole world, you can't create even the wing of a tiniest insect. With all our brilliance and technology and medicine and science, and it's wonderful, but we can't create anything new. It's all something from something. What is in the realm of God himself? That he creates new. And that represents a glimpse into Hashem's essence. And therefore, that is something that we do here on this earth. How? Because here on earth, we do something that's creative, that's new. That, so to speak, doesn't exist even in the heavenly realms. And that is that we transform Sin to goodness. We transform unholiness to holiness. We transform evil to good. And that's the contribution of here on earth. All the heavenly realms, there's plenty of goodness. There's plenty of godliness. There's plenty of light. The one thing they don't have is evil and sin. We got an abundance of that. And when we take physicality, sin and, and evil and etc., clipper, 
living in a world where, where God is completely concealed. All you see is contradiction to God, so to speak. A person can live in the world and deny God's existence. It's clear, but total darkness. Heaven doesn't have darkness. And therefore, they can't provide light that comes from transforming darkness. That is a new thing that's creative. It's brand new. We do it. We live our very existences are in the physical, which is obscuring light, truth. And we have sin and everything else. And within that space, we fight it and overcome and, and constantly do mitzvahs and turn physical and a place of obscuring, of God, obscuring godliness into divine light. Presto. We are just like Hashem himself, Hashem's essence. And we make something from nothing. We make the impossible. Whereas goodness exists in all the heavenly realms. Goodness coming from darkness does not exist because there's no darkness there. We got plenty of darkness and we provide a light that comes from the darkness. And therefore, we are creating Yeshmiyai and Exnil or something from nothing, much like Hashem himself. And therefore, Hashem's home is in this world. And therefore, we get the Torah. Thank you very much. More than the neighbor. Should be Kabbalah Zateda, Besimcha, Ubepnimius, and Afredach and Shvuz.